Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome again to the podcast. I'm Dan Carson, and I'm thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue the conversation about student ministry. Now, before we get into the heart of our podcast today, I want to thank our sponsor, Central Baptist College of Conway, Arkansas. If you have a junior high or high school student that's looking ahead at what's next, have them check out Central Baptist College. They offer a variety of degree programs that keep Christ in focus. Your students can find out more information at cbc.edu. Now, you may be one of those guys or gals that have finished your college degree, and Central College has some programs that are designed to help you get there with their PACE program. You can find more information about that as well at cbc.edu. As many of you know, Chris Swain, our speaker at the 2020 Virtual Student Ministries Workers Retreat, met his Savior face-to-face on July 15, 2021. At the age of 47, he had accomplished much for the kingdom. He had worked with Replicate Ministries. He had co-authored a book. He just had served in a variety of ways. And over the next three podcasts, we're going to share the sessions that he shared with us in 2020. These are sessions about students and discipleship. And so I just want to encourage you to listen, to, to hear from him once again, and then to pray for his wife, his kids, and his church family at Long Hollow Baptist Church of Hendersonville, Tennessee. Pray as they deal with their loss that God will give them comfort and that we can learn something today. Let's listen to session one together. Hello, I'm Chris Swain with Replicate Ministries, and I'm so excited to be able to talk with you guys today about discipling students and what it means to make disciples in student ministry. And I want to start by just letting you know that I have served in student ministry uh, since 1991. So I've been involved in student ministry for a long time, and I have a heart and passion to see that next generation, or what I will call the now generation, uh, impacted for the cause of Christ. I began to follow Jesus when I was a teenager, and so I understand how important it is and how critical it is to reach students for Christ. And so I thank you so much for investing your life and your time and your efforts into reaching students. It's, in my opinion, one of the greatest areas of ministry And so I know it's tough. I know it can be a challenge. I know you're probably tired all the time, uh, but pouring ourselves out for the sake of the gospel is so refreshing when we see what God does in the lives of students. And so I want to start by talking about discipling students, what that looks like. And really, it doesn't look much different than discipling anyone. But the best way we can think about discipleship, I believe, is to start with the ministry of Jesus. And before we get into that, I just want to tell you a little story about myself. So I am not a mechanically inclined individual. 
Uh, if, you, if you've met me before, if you've spent some time with me before, you know I'm the guy who will find the specialist to step in and fix stuff, get things going. I, I don't know anything about uh, getting under the hood of a car or a do-it-yourself project around the house. My wife, she can do all that stuff. She grew up on a farm. I grew up in the city where we find other people to do those types of things. So I want to preface this story with that just to save a little face, right? Uh, years ago, uh, when me and my wife had our first ministry opportunity, we were traveling a long distance, and we were in an old Ford Taurus, and it was a great car. It was just old, and I remember getting out on the highway. We're going to go on a long trip between Arkansas and Georgia, and so we got on 40, and we were set for the trip. We had our kids in the back. I had a, a new infant daughter and a son who was almost four. And we were going out on this trip, and I remember thinking what probably a lot of you do when you get on the highway, why would I waste the physical effort of pressing down the gas pedal when I can just put it in cruise control? And so I put the car in cruise control, and we began to drive. And at some point, we wanted to get off and you know take an exit, go take a break, a rest stop. I'm not even sure why we did it, but we needed to get off the highway. And so I started to take the cruise control off, but the engine continued to rev and continue to go at whatever I had set it at. Let's just say it was 65 or whatever the speed limit was. Uh, because obviously, you know, being a minister, I would never speed. And so I set the cruise control at whatever it was at. I tried to take it off. The car kept going. The engine kept revving. I got nervous. You know, I'm asking my wife, what's happening right now? We pull the car over. I'm hitting the brakes, but the engine is still rolling at full throttle. I throw the car into park and just turn the engine off. And I'm thinking, how do I fix this? I don't know anything about cars. So I'm thinking my immediate uh, step is to call roadside assistance to get there. Well, my, my wife, who, like I said, grew up on a farm and knows how to fix everything, she called her dad, who knows even more about this kind of thing. She gets on the cell phone. He tells her something. She gets out of the car, pops the hood, gets under there. Within minutes, gets it fixed, gets back in the car, and she says, hey, we're ready to go. So we take our little pit stop. We get back on the highway. We're back on this road trip. And what do I do being foolish? I get lazy and want to kick it back into cruise control. So I flip on the cruise control. And once again, as soon as I do it, I think that's probably not a good choice because we, we've been here before, right? So I tried to turn the cruise control off. And once again, it continues to roll while I'm driving down the road, trying to slow down. So I pull off the side of the highway. I pull over to the first place that I can find, and it's a Hardee's restaurant, all right? Hardee's is one of those places that I love. The food is intended for someone of my build, right? Everything is either fried or, you know, just nuke beyond uh, recognition. And that's the kind of food that I like. So I pull into this Hardee's parking lot. And once again, my wife calls her dad. She gets out, she pops the hood and she starts to go to work. And I'm sitting in the car and I'm thinking, hey, we're at a Hardee's. Why waste this opportunity to get something to eat? And they had just released this new item. Maybe you had it before called the cheese biscuit. And I thought to myself, I love cheese and I love biscuits. This has got to be one of the best ideas anyone's ever had. So I get my four-year-old son, I get my one-year-old daughter, and we go into this Hardee's and I order myself a cheese biscuit. I get my kids something and we're happy and we go out in the car. My wife, she's under the hood, she's still working on stuff. It's starting to get a little dark. You know, I look around, there's nothing I can offer. I don't know how to help her. So I get behind the wheel, put my kids in the back, and I'm about to take a bite of this cheese biscuit when this guy pulls up next to the vehicle. He's in this giant truck. He's got a big old beard. He's got a big hat. I'm thinking this is a manly man. He looks over at me and he has this look on his face of just total disappointment. 
as he sees my wife under the hood working on the car while I'm in the air condition of the vehicle eating a cheese biscuit, right? I didn't know what to do. I just looked at him and kind of shrugged and thought, what do you do? It's embarrassing. And it taught me a lesson that when you get stuck in cruise control, it's going to be embarrassing. And it's going to be embarrassing, not just in your vehicle, it's going to be embarrassing in your ministry. It's going to be embarrassing in your life. I mean, if you think about it, when you do student ministry, when you work with students, it can be so easy to say, okay, here are the things that we do. And we do these things a lot, and we're kind of stuck in this process, and we know what we're doing, and, and we're just going to continue to go down this path and, and do the things that we always do. But in, when we get into cruise control in our ministry, we begin to face issues that we need to deal with. And, and I, I hope today what we can talk through here will help you get out of cruise control in your ministry. Maybe even get out of cruise control in your own personal spiritual development. To continue to pursue Christ with that passion that you had when you first began to follow Him. To look at your ministry with fresh eyes and ask the question, how would Jesus minister to these students? How would he make a difference? When I think back to my student ministry years, and I served for at least a decade and a half in student ministry specifically, served for several years at Lifeway, uh, developing student ministry materials and training student ministry leaders. I know where you're at. I know where you've been. I know where you're going. And I can tell you this, we need to be equipping students to make disciples. For a long time, I did not do that. I focused on big events, getting people in the building, getting decisions made, celebrating attendance, celebrating decisions. And listen, those things are worthy of celebration, but that's not the primary ministry that Jesus has called us to. And so what I simply want to do here is to bring us back to exactly what Jesus did call us to in the Great Commission, and that was to make disciples. Because if you're like me for a long time, maybe you've been equipping students um, but maybe you were maintaining church programs to get results instead of equipping students to make disciples. And that's the easy trap to fall into. That's the cruise control of ministry. When we try to sustain programs and events instead of investing in students for multiplication the way Jesus showed us to do it. And so let's just look at Matthew 28 right now. Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20 a very unfamiliar verse, right? None of us have heard this before. Uh, I kid, we know it's the Great Commission. It's a pretty popular passage of Scripture, and I want to read it real quick. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And here's the part we all know so well, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together, for these leaders, wherever they're watching from, however they're engaging with this message. Lord, we want to follow your command to make disciples. We want to see students passionately pursue you with their whole life. And Lord, we don't think it's something that they have to wait until later in life for. We know it's something they can embrace now as a teenager. And we thank you for that opportunity. I pray that you would use us in a powerful way. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
When you look at the Great Commission, it's important to know that there are two imperatives. Two imperatives. When I think of the Great Commission, I think to myself, go. That's how I was taught in ministry. The Great Commission is about going out and doing mission work somewhere else. But the reality is that's not the focus of the Great Commission. And so for years, almost 18 years of my faith, I focused specifically on how do I go out? Where do I go? Who can I do missions with? Again, nothing wrong with that, but that's not the focus of what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples here. The two imperatives in the Great Commission are, first of all, make disciples. Make disciples is basically the cusp, the foundation of what Jesus is telling us to do. The other supporting words there, the participles, if you will, if you want to go back to English class, right, are go, baptize, and teach. So think about it. Jesus told the disciples, he told me and you as disciples, that we are to go and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. Think about the word go. Where are you going to make disciples? Baptize. Who are you baptizing? The disciples that you made. Teach. Who are you teaching? The disciples that you made, right? So all of the participles support this make disciples command, go, baptize, and teach. I envision it like a stool with the three legs of go, baptize, and teach, make disciples. But there's another imperative, and it's a pretty cool one. This one gives us heart. This one encourages us. If you're at a point in ministry where you're struggling, where you're feeling challenged, where you're thinking, man, I don't know in the midst of COVID, I don't know in the midst of where we're at as a church, with the challenges in our church leadership, with the challenges you might be facing with parents, with the challenges you might be facing with some of your students, with the personal issues that you may be going through. Listen, here's the beauty of the Great Commission as we hear this second command. Matthew 28, 20 says this, Jesus says this, Behold, or lo, surely, some virgins say, I will be with you until the end of the age. The power in this Great Commission is that Jesus is there with us. We don't have to do this alone. The Great Commission isn't something he handed to us and said, here's your mission. He said, no, join me on the Great Co-Mission together. He wants us to be a part of it. He asks us to be a part of it. He commands us to step in and be a part of it, but we don't have to do it alone. He is with us in the midst of it. Ed Stetzer wrote a book. One of the things he said that's so in, in, in powerful to me is that the majority of people in the majority of churches are not engaged in meaningful ministry or missions. Think about that. I believe it translates to students. The majority of students in the majority of our student ministries are not engaged in meaningful ministry or missions. Why is it that we spend all of our time focusing on programs and events and Sunday morning and Wednesday night and groups and gatherings to the extent of exempt, I should say, exempting the, the one thing that Jesus has called us to do, to equip the students to do the work of the ministry, to equip our people to accomplish the Great Commission. I want you to think about, if you will, the trajectory we create for students in ministry. I mean, think about this. You've been a student leader. You know what it's like to engage with students. You see them on a regular, consistent, weekly, if not daily basis. You know what I'm talking about. Look at this trajectory. We create and sustain ministry for our students. We create the ministry. We sustain the ministry. 
We host the houses. We teach the lessons. We set up the stuff. Now, I'm not saying that many of you, if not all of you, don't invest in students to help. But for the most part, church leaders, volunteer leaders, paid leaders, bivocational leaders like yourself, listen, you're doing too much of the ministry. We need to give more of it away. But we do all of this for them. We do so much of it for them. We create consumers. We create people who want to drive through church. I want to pull up to the window. I want to get my order. I want them to tell me that, you know, have a blessed day. I want to make sure everything's right, and I want it to be at a good price. That's the way we look at ministry, sadly. But look, we teach our students to look at ministry that way because we provide it to them in that way. We dumb it down and we make it super simple because we want as many people as possible to step into it. And while I don't think we should make it hard for students, I do think we should make it exactly what Jesus called us to make it. So we create and sustain ministry for them. We often communicate that bringing a friend is the height of spiritual maturity. Man, you are a heavy hitter. You are next level if you're bringing a friend. And I'll tell you this, bringing a friend is awesome. It should be celebrated. But that is not the height of spiritual maturity. That's just being very relational, intentional, well, intentional about bringing a friend, which again is great. But we can't let our students believe that me being a mule to get other students in the ministry is the biggest win. Because that's a win for attendance. That's a win for numbers. That's a win for the, us helping them think outside themselves, yes. But it's not ultimately what Jesus has called us to do to equip them to make disciples. We emphasize customized ministry and we minimize family ministry. Think about that for a minute. We emphasize customized ministry and we minimize family ministry. What am I saying there? We do kids ministry and student ministry in such a way that we would tell a parent oftentimes, man, this is perfect for your middle schooler. This is perfect for your 16-year-old. We're doing every, everything we can to customize this ministry to their Wednesday night, to their football schedule, to their cheer schedule, to their travel baseball team schedule, right? We're doing everything we can to customize a ministry for your kids. The reality is we need to focus on ministering to families. And the difference between customizing ministry for kids and maximizing ministry for families is we have to begin to think of parents and students together. We don't want a ministry that just allows parents to drop their kids off and walk away. That is not equipping parents to disciple their kids, right? I think you would agree with me on this. Nothing I'm saying here is pointing the finger at you. It's me pointing three fingers back at myself to say, this is how I did ministry for so long until I began to understand what it means to make disciples of students. And then finally, when, when students turn 18, we change everything on them. Think about this. My son right now, he, he's going to turn 13 this coming week, and he's going to step into his teenage years. Five years from then, he's going to step into his adult years at age 18. Time flies, by the way. It's crazy. Can't even imagine it. But one of the things that's going to happen is he's going to show up for church, and everything is different. No, you don't go to student ministry on Wednesday night. Now you're doing something else on Wednesday night, or maybe you're doing nothing on Wednesday night, right? Uh, church now for you, Sunday morning worship. Um, we've got these adult Sunday school classes we want you to be a part of. Whatever your church context is, think about how different it is for students age birth through 18 who then become an adult, and it's like we've changed everything. We, we've ministered to them up until age 18, and then we've unleashed them. It's no wonder that at age 18, most students leave the church and many never come back.
I would argue we need to shift our focus from thinking about students as the next generation and to thinking about them as the now generation. The students you have in your ministry right now are the people that God has given you to reach your community for Christ. Those are the people who can do ministry right now. And I know you're looking at me and you're thinking to yourself, wait, I know this kid. Chris, you don't know this kid. There's no chance he can do ministry. Hey, I was that kid, okay? I understand how difficult it can be. I know some of those students. And I will challenge you that some of your most difficult students are going to be some of the best people to step into ministry and help in certain different areas. If you begin to think about your students as a now generation and not something you're cultivating for years down the line when they become an adult and become responsible and, and then they're coming back to plug in, right? Now is when they need to be doing ministry. And this generation wants more than any generation before it to be plugged in and to begin to do work for Christ immediately. I want you to evaluate your ministry for a moment. However you're plugged into it, whether you're a Sunday school leader, whether you're a volunteer Wednesday night door greeter, whether you are a youth pastor, whether you are a lay youth leader, whatever your role, at whatever church you are serving at, I want you to think about the budget your church has for students. And for some of you, you're kind of laughing at that term. You're like, budget, the budget is whatever I can spend, right? Some of you have very little to spend. But I want you to think about what that budget looks like for your ministry. Because what I've often found is we will put the dollars and the focus of our budget on the things that we hold in highest regard. And when you look at your ministry, at whatever capacity you serve, and you begin to break that budget down, it really highlights exactly where your heart is in ministry. It highlights what your church values in ministry, what you value in ministry. So let me just ask you to look at that. Look at that programming list, whether it's Wednesday and Sunday or twice on Sunday, twice on Wednesday. I don't know what your programming looks like, but look at the connection between your budget and your programming and ask the question, is this focused on what it should be focused on? Are we highlighting, emphasizing, shining a bright light on what matters most in ministry? Or are we simply leaning into the things that will sustain uh, a glorified childcare so that parents are able to do what they want to do on Sunday? Now, I didn't say that out loud, I don't think. I, I think I may have said that in my head, but maybe you heard what I was trying to say, right? Finally, look at your personal schedule. Look at how busy you are. We'll talk in another session about how you need to focus on making sure your time is where Jesus wants it to be. But oftentimes, if not always, our schedule is a reflection of our priorities. And your schedule and my schedule is a reflection of the priorities we have in ministry. So once you've looked at those three things and you've evaluated, you know, where will I find time to make disciples? Is there a clear map for making disciples? Um, where are the resources going in terms of making disciples? You need to define reality for yourself. Is your current ministry strategy working? If the answer is yes, then do more of it. Ramp it up. That's great. Is your current strategy reaching new students for Jesus? Are you just hanging with the same group you've had and every once in a while maybe you get a visitor? Um, is the current strategy you have producing the kind of disciples found in Scripture? That's a tough question. I mean, I think most of us could look at our own home and look at our own kids and ask this question, am I producing the kind of disciple found in Scripture? That's a tough one. Because often the answer is kind of, or I hope so, maybe, you know, I want to, but how do I do that? 
Ask yourself this question. Where do you find high accountability personally and how do you help your students find high accountability in their life? I'm convinced that accountability is the key. It's the linchpin that will limit our growth and limit our effectiveness, not only as believers, but as ministry leaders. And then I want to ask you this. Are you seeing multiplication in your current ministry? Is it happening? If it's not happening, why is it not happening? Will the ministry sustain after you leave? This is one of the toughest questions that I believe we can answer. And, and it's tough because we want to pursue God's call. And oftentimes that takes us away from where we've been serving. Maybe it takes us away for a season. Maybe it means we move to go serve someone somewhere else completely. But I want you to ask the question, what will happen to the ministry if I step out, when I step out? You will not be around forever, right? I will not be around forever. How are you setting your ministry up for the long term? I think one of the greatest disservices student ministry has provided the church, and I think there are a lot of great services it's provided, but I think one of the greatest disservices student ministry has provided the church is focusing on equipping students without focusing on equipping the family. You see, it's one thing if we help teach students and equip students, but the Bible calls parents to disciple their students. I don't think any of you would argue with me on that. But your rebuttal is the same as mine. Well, what if they don't do it right? What if their parents aren't saved? What if they don't know how to disciple their kids? That's part of our jobs as student leaders, as student volunteers, as student pastors. Equipping parents to do what God's called them to do is a key and vital part of being a student ministry leader. And so what's the priority here? The priority in ministry for me and you is to make disciples. It's not to create another event. It's not to fill a room. It's not to have parents being happy because they can do stuff without their kids being around so they can focus. It's not to celebrate a number. It's not to celebrate our own efforts, right? The priority is right there in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus sets the priority for ministry. You and I don't have the luxury of doing that. Jesus does that. It's to make disciples. That's our priority. And if our ministry is doing anything other than that, we need to shift it and change it back to what Jesus has called us to do. That's the priority. What's the purpose? The purpose of making disciples is very simple. It's to replicate mature believers, right? Ephesians tells us in uh, chapter 4, 11 through 13, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What a powerful verse. There's no better way to say we should be investing in our students to make disciples, to build up and replicate mature believers. If our ministry is weak, if our church is shallow, it's a direct result of the shallowness of the disciples we are making. We must engage and have the purpose of equipping and replicating mature believers. And so what we need to do is, is we need to create a reproducible strategy. And here's the beauty. It's not a strategy that Chris Swain needs to create. It's not a strategy that a bunch of people need to come together as a think tank and walk through, right? We need a strategy that Jesus has already shown and offered us. I want to close with this. 
Years ago, there was something called the Pepsi Challenge. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you're way old like me and you actually partook in the Pepsi Challenge. But Pepsi came out and they knew Coke was number one. And so they said, let's do this challenge where we give each person a blind taste test of Pepsi and Coke. And they're going to take one drink of each and they're going to tell us which one they like the most. Well, once the challenge started happening, everyone was picking Pepsi. Like over 50% were choosing Pepsi. That's a pretty big promotional piece for your drink. Hey, everybody, most people like Pepsi when they don't know what the bottle looks like, right? And so they did this Pepsi challenge and they, and they got all these people excited about it. It was such a big deal that Coke, which had been the number one soft drink forever, started to get worried. So they actually went in and spent some time and said, you know what, we need to change the recipe of our number one selling soft drink of all time forever because Pepsi's about to take over. So they created something called New Coke. Maybe you remember. It was terrible. 70 days later, they changed it back to the regular and went back to classic Coke. But the question that I ask, and I think a lot of people would ask is, if Coke was the better drink, Coke is what most people prefer, why were people picking Pepsi, right? Why was this happening? What they found out is they began to send cases home with people. Here's a case of Coke. Here's a case of Pepsi. What happens when you have more of each? Almost everyone was finishing the case of Coke. Almost no one was finishing the case of Pepsi. Why? Pepsi is sweet right out the gate. You drink it, it's immediately sweet. It's much sweeter than Coke. But no one finishes a whole bottle. When it comes to Coke, yes, it's more bitter, but people want the whole thing. I would say this same exact scenario is taking place in our ministry. People in ministry, we create these sweet little programs. They're going to draw them in, and it's going to be that sip-type ministry, right? Boom, I take a sip, it's sweet, it's awesome, I might come back. But we're not building depth. What our people need, what our students need, what you and I as disciples of Christ need is that deep, long-lasting, passionate pursuit of being a disciple who makes disciples. That is our lifelong mission. That's the call God has placed on us. That's the, God, uh, the, the call that God has placed on the students you lead. And I'm so thankful that as Jesus has given us this mission, he has not left us alone in this mission. So my encouragement to you as we wrap up here is to think about your ministry not as how to develop several little sweet shots of, of, of sugar that are going to draw people in and keep them coming back, right? We want something that is long-term, that is an investment, that people want, not just because it's a low bar, because it's easy, but because they realize, hey, there's something meaningful here. And my challenge is this. The generation we're serving right now, they don't want shallow. They want to be challenged. They're looking at the generation before them, and they're cynical, and they're thinking, what happened here, right? We want more than that. And that's the great news about the students that you're working with. They want to be challenged. They want to be equipped. And ultimately, I believe, they want to make disciples. So my encouragement as we close is to step into ministry, think about your ministry, look at what Jesus did, and in our next session, we're going to walk through very practically how to do that in your ministry and implement the ministry that Jesus has called you to, to follow him and to make disciples. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.